We are going to be in the Gospel of Luke this morning, and I think probably for, for the duration of December as we go through the advent of Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking this morning in uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, at the subject of hope. And uh, it, I've, I've looked through my records and, and I've preached on this passage several times for this first Sunday of Advent. And i got to tell you, I thought I knew everything about this passage, and then this week as I was studying it, new things were jumping out at me. And so I hope, Lord willing, I have, I have plumbed the depths and gotten everything out of this passage as possible. But I, I have a sneaky hunch that in a few years I'll preach it again and I'll find something new, uh, as, as it does. But we're looking specifically as we look at this uh, focus on, on Zechariah and his interactions with the angel Gabriel. And it begins after a, a, an introduction to the, the entire book from Luke to Theophilus. It begins with uh, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So he is a priest, and his wife is the daughter of priests, specifically even the high priest's lineage through Aaron. They were both, we're told in verse 6, they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. They were they were good people who did the right thing and who followed the Lord and were righteous. They, they, they worshipped, they lived properly according to the law, they were blameless. And then verse 7 gives us the kicker about their life. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. And, 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 and that last little bit, I, I think a lot of times I have just run over that. So you had Elizabeth who was barren, but what happens in their life, as would happen in, in most of our lives, you you're, get to an age where it no longer matters that you're barren, because now you're advanced in years. You're no longer capable, even if you had been capable at one time, there, everybody reaches a stage where they're no longer able to have kids. And, and that's what he's saying, that it, it's double. It's not just that she is barren or has been barren when she was younger, but now they are both advanced in age. Even Zacharias can't have kids. If you go back and you look at um, Abraham and Sarah, after Sarah dies, Abraham has kids. He, He takes another wife, a concubine, and he has several children with her. He was never, to put it in, in these terms, he was never the, the problem. He wasn't the one who wasn't able to have kids. He was able to have kids. He had Ishmael, and then he had several others, even after they had Isaac. So his advanced years didn't slow him down after Sarah died. But Ezekiel, or excuse me, Ezekiel, Zacharias and Elizabeth, uh, they're both old. And, and so they have lost any hope that he had at some point in his life. It's been lost. They're past the time and they're past the place where they can expect God to intervene in their lives. No matter how righteous they were, no matter how good they were, no matter how 
closely they follow the law, they have this sorrow that they carry. And in fact, later on, Elizabeth calls it her disgrace. That's, that's their living experience. They, they can be happy with one another. They can be happy in their lives. He's serving the Lord in the temple. And yet, always with them, there is this, this nugget of bitterness, this hurt that is not shared by the people around them. And, and it's something that can probably creep up as nieces have babies, as cousins have babies, that sorrow is there with them. And so they have, they have lost hope in these days. And, and Luke is making it a point to let us know what their situation is. But then he, he tells us in verse 8, having given us the introduction of, of who they are in their lives, now we come to the specific moment in time that he wants to share with us in this chapter. He says in verse 8, Now it happened that while he, Zacharias, was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division. And, and so each division, we read earlier he was in the division of Abijah, each division would come and serve in the temple. And, and I've read, you know, it might just be a time of a week. It's estimated that there were about 2,000 priests in the time of Jesus. You know, that the family of Aaron had grown and grown and grown and grown. And there were over, there were, there were estimated to have been about 2,000 priests at that time. And so each division would show up for one week and take care of the temple. And then they would go home and then they would live in their, the villages that they lived in and they would do their lives wherever they were uh, for the rest of the year. But they would come in and serve for that period of time. And, and in that time as they were serving, because there were so many of them that they would, they would, you know, divvy up the responsibilities of each day what each priest was doing. You had certain priests that were doing the sacrifices and certain priests that were doing other duties. And we are told that as it was, he was there uh, during his division's appointed order and time. In verse 9, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And what you had were uh, morning and evening prayers with the burning of incense. The incense was put on an altar that was just outside of the Holy of Holies. And so you would enter, there was the, the common area where the people could be, and then there was the place that only men could be, and then there was the place that only priests could be. And within that, there were, you had the, the holy place, and then within that was the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest went into the Holy Holies and only once a year. And there was a curtain separating what was the place for God where the Ark of the Covenant would have been. And, and Zacharias says he is going to the altar to burn incense. And there were three, three priests selected each time, morning and evening. One of them would clean out the ashes that were in there. One of them would bring new coals from the altar to the the incense basin. And then the third one would come and actually put the incense on the coals and offer them up to the Lord and pray while he was doing that. And we are told that, it, that he was chosen by lot to enter into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And because it's estimated that there were about 2,000 priests back then, it, it, this was a thing that you were most likely only ever going to get to do maybe once in your life for the amount of time that you could serve as a priest, for the amount of time you would actually go to the temple 
So it's possible that he had never done this before, and here he is, an old man, and he has finally been chosen by law. And as we think about that, we need to remember Proverbs 16, verse 33, that tells us the lot is cast into the lap, but its every answer is from the Lord. And so bringing in this fact that it was cast, this lot was cast and he was chosen by it, there is also a little bit of a divine agency that God has arranged this, even though to us it seems random. He is coming to offer the incense. And so in verse 10 we are told that, that he was co- chosen to go in and offer the incense. And then in verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of incense offering. And so you've got all these people outside and they were in prayer. They're, they're, they're praying. And, and what are they praying for? We're not, you know, we don't know. But in Luke chapter 2, we find two people who are not priests but come to the temple every day. One of them is a widow woman who serves uh, her entire life, her entire adult life for the most part, in the temple, offering prayers. And the other one is an, ancient, is an older man who has been promised that he would see the Lord's Messiah, and his name is Simeon. And, and both of them are looking for the, what Luke calls the consolation of Israel, the hope of the Redeemer to come. And so you have here, you have the people of Israel... They're in Jerusalem, which has been taken over by the Romans. Prior to that, it had been taken over by the Greeks. And they've had about 400 years of not hearing a word of the Lord. No prophecy. No prophet standing up and saying, here, I just heard a word of the Lord. Not until John the Baptist starts speaking. But these people, they are hoping for, they have the Romans all around them, they are looking for the consolation of Israel, so there's a good chance that those people who are gathered in the temple on a daily basis, morning and night, during this time of incense offering, are praying for the coming of the Messiah. They are praying for God's salvation and His deliverance of the people. And so they are outside praying as He goes in, and verse 11 tells us, And an angel of the Lord appeared to Him, standing to the right, of the altar of incense. Now, he is working in the... T- I always find this kind of humorous because he is working in the temple and the last thing he expects to see is an angel, angel of God, a messenger of God to come and talk to him right there at the altar of the incense. And so Zacharias, when he sees the angel, as Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. For your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you will give him the name John. Now notice what the angel says. Your petition has been heard. The people are outside praying. The people are in in, in prayer outside at the hour of incense. And that word for prayer is is to offer prayer. To pray towards. They They are praying towards God. They are directing their prayers to Him. And when the angel says, your petition has been heard, first, just, just amazing. I mean, this is so amazing. Angel shows up. He's terrified. He's fearful. But the angel says, don't be afraid, for your petition has been heard. Now, that word petition, it's not prayer. The word petition means a need or an entreaty, supplication. It is used as prayer, but it's specific. It's praying over a felt need 
that a person has. It, it comes from the word deo, which means to be in want, to lack something. It, that, that actually comes from a word that means uh, really, you know, like the reality of my life. And so I'm lacking something in my life, and I am petitioning God about this thing that is missing in my life, this need I have, this desire, this, this desperation. That is a petition. And so the people outside, they are praying. They are, they, are, they are praying their thoughts to God. Lord, send us a deliverer. But let me ask you something. Do you think Zacharias was in there that day saying, Lord, give me a son. Lord, give me a child. Open up my wife's womb that we might have. Remember, she's barren and they're advanced in years. There's a good chance, I believe, this is not a prayer he is currently praying. He may be now praying for the deliverance of Israel, for the coming Messiah, just as the people outside are. He has given up his hope. He is old. It's not happening. This is, I believe, a prayer that was prayed years and years ago, probably for many years on end, year after year after year, until finally he knew, physically impossible, not going to happen, and he stopped praying. Have you ever gotten to that point about something in your life where you prayed and prayed and prayed, but after a while your heart just said, this is never coming true? And you gave up on that prayer? That's where Zacharias is. That's where he has been. And yet, now this angel comes to him and says, your petition has been heard. Your petition from 30 years ago, your petition maybe 40 years ago, has been heard. God heard it immediately. I'm reminded of in the book of Daniel, when Daniel was praying and the, the angel comes to him and says, Daniel, as soon as you started praying, I was dispatched. I was sent. But I got hung up in spiritual warfare. And it wasn't until the prince of your people came and saved, helped me that I was able to continue my journey. But as soon as you started praying, I was sent. Here you have Zacharias. He's been praying. We don't know for how long. And he probably stopped praying after a while. And the angel shows up and says, Your petition has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You will give him the name John. Which is just an incredible pronouncement in his life. But I want to just think about those things that we have prayed for. Maybe you've given up praying for something. Maybe you have a hurt that is deep and it gnaws at you. And it feels sometimes because God has not answered our prayers that He doesn't care or He's distant or He's got bigger things to worry about. But what we see here is this angel has been sent by God to share with John, not just to make him feel better, but to say no. Because to a certain extent, there has been a purpose, John, or not John, excuse me, Zacharias. There is a purpose, Zacharias, why your prayer wasn't answered earlier. There is a reason why you have waited so long. But today is the day I am proclaiming to you, your petition has been heard. And God is answering your petition. Even though it seems like it's too late, now God is answering it. And and as we think about that, the the loss and the lack of hope that Zacharias is in right there, and maybe sometimes we're in that, 
Maybe you're in that today. Maybe you've been in it. Maybe you're going to be in it in the future sometime soon. When we get to that place of lost hope, I want us to remember that God intimately knows your deepest longings. He, he wasn't callous towards Zacharias. He wasn't ignoring him. He knew his hurt. And, and, and I say that just to say that if, if God hasn't answered your prayer, and it is something that hurts you, know that He is intimately aware of it. He intimately knows your deepest longings. And, and remember, He is a good Father. Jesus tells us we are, we are wicked, we are sinful people, and yet we know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more so does your Father in Heaven long to give you good gifts, long to give you the Holy Spirit. It is in His nature. It is His desire. He created us. He gave us life. He shapes us. He has he is worked hard for our salvation. He hasn't done all that just to throw us aside and ignore us. It is His desire, His love, His joy to give good things to His children. And so if He doesn't, we need to be aware. We need to stop and think, God knows my longing. God is intimately aware of. He knows inside and out. He probably knows better than I know these things that I'm feeling. And there's an angel here to stand with Zacharias and let him know God has heard your petition. Not just the prayers you offer up. No, your longing, your need, that thing that you have wept over and desired most of all, God has heard. And you're going to have a son. And you're going to give him the name John. He continues in verse 14. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. You're going to have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice. You're, you're going to notice how he moves from uh, personal joy. You, Zacharias, are going to have joy and gladness. But then it expands. Many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. In other words, he will be like a, uh, a Nazarite vow, except it will be from his birth, and he will have the Holy Spirit even while he's in the mother's womb. And that, the Holy Spirit wasn't given to everybody in the Old Testament. It wasn't given to everybody in Jesus' time. And yet here, he's going to have the Holy Spirit from his inception. He says in verse 16, And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Your son is going to be the fulfillment of prophecy. That's heavy stuff. That is heavy stuff. He is going to be the one that goes in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow. Zacharias took all that in and he, Zacharias said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? 
For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Zacharias didn't hear a thing the angel said. He is, he is so focused on, on the first part. He didn't hear any of the rest of it. He didn't hear about how his, he, it was, he was going to go as a forerunner before him and turn the hearts of the, the fathers back to the children. All he says is in verse 18 there, he says, How will I know this for certain? How will I know? How will I, how will I have experience to have the knowledge? How will I know in this word is, is the Greek word gnosko, which means to experience. It is the word used for when a man and a woman get married and he goes into her and he knows her. It's the word used for Mary that she didn't know any men. She had no experience to have the knowledge of men. He says, how will I have the experience? How will I see this physically in my life so that I can know it for certain? I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Like I don't see how that happens. How can you promise me? How can you make it? Apart from the fact that I think if an angel shows up while you're worshiping in the holy place, I think that should be enough. If that's not enough, what did he tell him your son is going to do? This angel is saying not just, hey, you know what, we decided you're, it's, it's good. You guys have earned to have a child. And so we're going to let you have a child. No, no, this child isn't for their own personal enjoyment. Yes, you will have joy from him. Yes, you're going to be happy. But there is more to the story, Zacharias. He is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to be a Nazarite. He's going to have the Holy Spirit. He is going to turn the hearts of many to the back to the Lord. He's going to turn the hearts of fathers back to their sons. He's going to be the the one that goes before the Lord to prepare the people to receive the Messiah. And all all Zacharias can think about is, how, how I don't see how that's going to happen. I'm an old man and my wife's an old woman. You know, before we get too hard on him, because it is, it's, it's a little ridiculous that he didn't see, but remember what Jesus has said that, it, you know, or actually, it was, well, it was, in the, it was in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. But the rich man says, you know, send Lazarus back to my brothers. And, and Abraham in the parable says, look, even if a person returned from the dead, they won't believe. And, and Jesus was speaking about himself in that. You know, here, here you have Jesus, the Messiah. He's healing people. They won't believe. He dies. He rises again. They won't believe. Let's not be too hard on Zacharias that an angel is standing in front of him in the temple of God and he's so focused on the first part, he misses everything else. Of course God can do this. Of course, if, especially if it's God's will that this child would be the one who would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, he can do it. It is never too late for God, even when it is too late, it is still not too late. He can take dry bones and make them live again. It is not too late. But I think Zacharias, he is so bitter in his lost hope. He doesn't have a child, and now it's almost as if this angel is mocking him in his mind. He, he is so focused on what has not happened in his life, on, on the loss that he has experienced, he can't hear what God's plans are. All he can fixate on is, wait a minute, you said I'm going to have a son? How is that even possible? How can I know that for certain? You need to give me something else. Jesus said that a wicked and, a, and perverted nation, uh, generation requires a sign. 
an angel showing up and talking to you should be sign enough. But we know from several examples in the book of Judges, even when angels show up, people still want a sign. And so as we think about this, as we think about those, those deep longings that we have that God has not answered, as we maybe are, are disappointed. Have you ever gotten disappointed with God? That God isn't done what he, you thought he was going to do? He hasn't shown up the way you thought he was? I think we can all probably point to something in our lives where we've been disappointed with God. Where it seemed like God had failed us, where it didn't feel like he loved us. And, and all I want to say about that with Zacharias here is don't let your disappointment with God blind you to what God is doing. I think that's what Zacharias is doing. He is so disappointed with God that even when an angel shows up, he is blind to what the angel is saying, this is what your son's going to be. This is what he is going to do. I am doing this amazing work in your life because I have a desire that this child would be a witness and prepare the people. We're going to see next week a little bit of why uh, God chose. I mean, just think of this. God chose Zacharias and Elizabeth for a purpose. He could have, if he wanted a young couple to give birth to the, the John the Baptist to go in the power of Elijah, he could have found a young couple. He had a specific planning purpose for choosing an elderly couple. And we're going to look at that next week of what that purpose was. He wasn't just, you know, waiting. No, it was all part of his And yet we can, we can get so frustrated because God's plan is different than our plan. We can become disappointed that he's not fulfilling our plan. And because in our bitterness and in our lost hope, we're disappointed with God, we don't even see what he is actually doing. Uh, this is a struggle. It, it's hard to keep your soul your spirits up when you don't feel like God is working in your life, even though you know He is because He has proclaimed and He has declared and He has called you after His Son. Sometimes it can be hard to remember. And we can become blind to what God is really doing because we really want Him to do what we want. So don't let your disappointment with God blind you to what He is doing. Zechariah said, How will I know this for certain? How can I know this? The angel in verse 19. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I, I, I get this picture when I read that, that he is still in the presence of God. That, that Gabriel is somehow splitting the realm of spirit and, and physical. You know, here he is at the altar of incense, offering up the prayers, and he's right there. It reminds me of Isaiah when, when he was in the temple in the year that King Uzziah died, and he looked and he saw the Lord enthroned in the temple and, and his robe filling the room. That spiritual work is going on within the physical, and we don't see it. And here it's almost as if Gabriel has split a curtain open. And he's like, Zechariah, I have just told you the most amazing things in the world. It has been 400 years. God has not spoken to a person. In 400 years, you're the first person he sent me to speak to. And I have declared to you that you're going to have a son, and he is going to be like the Elijah. And he's going to go in the, four, in, 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 the, in the 
you know, to prepare the way for the Messiah? And you're asking me how this is all going to happen? How you can know? Well, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. And he continues in verse 19, And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. We're talking boss move, Gabriel. You know, you shall be, I'm here, I'm speaking to you, I've been told to bring you this good news, and behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words. And, and what is, what happens next in verse 21, we're told, uh, the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. This is taking longer than normal. Where is he? But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Here, here is something that you've you got to thank Gabriel. He didn't beat around the bush. And he didn't drag it out. Zachariah said, how will I know? How can I know this for certain? And Gabriel said, I will give you a sign right now. It's immediate. You're not going to say another thing until all this takes place. The last word Zachariah said, how will I know? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. He doesn't get another word in for the next 10 months. He doesn't say another thing because he questioned Gabriel. And Gabriel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand before the Lord. You're not going to speak. You're going to be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And it didn't take time. It wasn't like, I'll give you a sign, uh, someday a virgin will, be born, will, will give birth to a child. No. It wasn't a, a someday in the future type promise. It was a today, right this minute, you're not saying another word, and now you'll know what I am telling you is the truth. And sure enough, Zacharias comes out and he can't speak. He has to make pantomime to try to communicate with the people. Why? Notice, you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. He didn't believe. He didn't have faith in what Gabriel was telling him. He, he, he didn't have hope anymore. He had lost hope long ago. And so now when, when the, the fulfillment of his hope has shown up, he, he doesn't believe. And we know that, that hope and faith go together. You know, in our memory verse, faith, hope, love, abide these three. Faith and hope go together. But here, here's another great thing about that verse in, in 1 Corinthians 13. Faith and hope are the two things that are not going to last. When Jesus Christ returns, we will no longer need hope in our lives. We will no longer operate by faith because we will see. We will know. But love will continue because He is love. We know from Hebrews 11.1 1, that faith is the assurance of things 
hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We know from Romans that nobody hopes for something they have. They hope for those things that they don't have. Faith and hope go together. And so when he says, you did not believe my words, in other words, he's saying, you did not have faith. You did not have hope. You've lost your hope. And now you didn't have faith. You didn't believe me. And it's easy to get to the place where we stop to have faith. Where we lose our hope and we no longer have faith that God's going to work in our lives. They go together. When you lose hope, you lose the faith. Because the faith is the living out of that hope. And so Zacharias, he doesn't believe. And, and, and what God would have had him say maybe is, wait a minute, how's that going to happen? We're, all, we're so old. Or, or, or something better than how can I know? Give me a guarantee. Don't hurt me again, God. But no, faith and hope, they go together. And he didn't believe. He didn't have hope in those words. And, and as hard as it can be sometimes to, to hold on to what God has said. You know, Zacharias is dealing with new words. We deal with old words. We deal with things that God said a long time ago. And sometimes it can be hard to hold on to that hope. Or maybe sometimes the Lord has put it in our hearts that He is going to do a certain thing and we don't see it happening. And... and the encouragement I want us to take from this is to believe and have hope in what God has promised. To continue to believe, especially when it looks like it's impractical, especially when it looks like it can't really happen because that's a major part of belief and hope. It's easy to believe in things. In fact, it's not truly faith if it's proven. Using this stand and believing that it will hold this this Bible up here is not faith. It's proven. But if if you were to say I've got a special device, you can't see it, but it'll hold the that Bible up. See, if I were to believe you, then that would be faith. Reminds me of a story, you know, uh, Charles Lindbergh uh, in the movie. Uh, about his crossing the Atlantic with Jimmy Stewart as he's trying to explain to a suspender salesman about lift and, and how he flies on the wind. The suspender what if I try to explain to people that their pants would just stay up by the wind? I mean, you, you, need, you need something to hold the airplane up, you know? He had no faith because he could not see it. He had faith, or he, he trusted suspenders. But suspenders doesn't take any faith. It's seen. It's tangible. But to believe that an airplane could lift off in a time when they hadn't seen that happening, that would have been faith. Zacharias has never seen an old couple like him and his wife give birth. He's read about it with Abraham and Sarah, but he has never seen it. And he's lost hope that God would would do such a thing in his life. And I just want to encourage us in the things that we have hoped in the Lord for. Those things that, that maybe we've given up on. Believe. Have faith in God to provide what He has promised, to do what He has said. Notice it is, it is what He has promised, not just what I desire Him to do. There's a difference between faith in what I desire and faith in what He has promised. He has promised us many things, and we need to trust Him and believe in Him for those. 
The fulfillment of this is in verse 23, when the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me, to take away my disgrace among men. That word dealt, uh, it means this is how he has worked in my life. He has actively worked with me in doing this. He has looked at me with favor to take away my disgrace among men. All of her life, she had failed to do the one thing a woman was expected to do in that time and, and age. And here, finally, it was out of her control. She didn't have any control over it wasn't willful on her part, but she finally is pregnant. She is finally carrying a child, and God has given her favor. He has blessed her. He has taken away in her eyes the disgrace that she had. This is the way the Lord has dealt with me. She doesn't maybe understand why she had to live for so long in that state before he would bless her, but he had a purpose for it. And as I think about our own longings and sorrows that we care, it is good to remember that God will redeem the cause of your sorrow. Just as He does it here. Now, He doesn't always work this way. Those who are barren don't always get a child. Sarah got one. Hannah got one. Elizabeth gets a child. Not everybody who is barren experiences that joy in life. And and I think there are many ways that we can be barren. Not just in in the sense of children. But anything that you've longed for and has not come to completion. It it could be that you have toiled and worked and seen all of your efforts come to nothing. It seems. And you think, what have I got to show for in my life? There are many ways that we can have sorrow like this and deep longings. And they might not be fulfilled in this earth. They might not be redeemed in this time. But I firmly believe that God is working and using them for His glory and He desires to redeem those hurts and those losses because He loves us. And if God loves us and has removed from us something, has kept something from us, we have the opportunity to turn bitter against Him? To be angry with Him? Or to walk in faith with Him. And if we believe that He'll redeem it, we can walk in faith with Him. It it may not happen uh, until the end. I I go in my mind to Revelation and you have the great multitude who have been uh, martyred during the tribulation. And yet they're the ones with the white robes. They're the ones with the new names. They're the ones worshiping God and crying out to Him. Yeah, they were martyred. Nobody wants to be martyred. But God has redeemed that and using it for His glory. There are people who are born without arms, without legs, without some physical ability to do something. And God is in control. He makes the mute. He makes the blind. He makes the lame. We can get angry with Him. 
where we can seek to love Him and worship Him and serve Him in that situation that we are in. And I think to a certain extent when God gives us those situations, when He visits us with sorrow and barrenness, it is an opportunity for Him to do something greater in our lives than we were looking to do in our own lives. Zacharias and Elizabeth just wanted a child. They probably wanted many children when they were younger. They, they didn't get those opportunities. They get John, and they get joy with John. But just think, they're not going to have John for very long. They're old. God has a different purpose for John than grandchildren. He has a different purpose for John than the things that the world would have for him. He has a different purpose for Zacharias and Elizabeth. But he gives them joy. And he works in their lives to do a wonderful thing. And if we are in a spot where we have lost hope, I want to encourage us. And that thing in which we feel barren at times, maybe even literally barren, or wounded and sorrow with deep longing. Let's not give up on the Lord. Let's continue to cry out to Him, even if it seems too late. It's not too late with God. It may not be the answer we're looking for. But don't let your disappointment with not hearing the answer you want blind you from seeing what God is actually doing. Let us continue in faith and hope in what He has promised us. Knowing that God is seeking to use our sorrow, use our experiences, use our lives for His glory and that He will redeem and turn around that which has been a shame or a burden or a sorrow in us. He can turn that into the most glorious aspect of our lives if we will trust Him and let Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank You that You have called us to be Your children. Lord, that You give us hope in Jesus Christ. And we acknowledge, Lord, that we sometimes lose that hope that we have. Sometimes, even though we, we proclaim Jesus is enough, sometimes He's not enough for us. We want more. We want certain joys here on earth that we feel we are lacking. Lord, we can sometimes become bitter towards You because we don't see it happening in our lives. We pray, Lord, that we would not lose our hope, but that we would hold on steadfastly in faith, believing even against all hope at times. May we continue to believe and to hold on to You in faith, Lord. And we pray that, that we would continue to lift up to You our petitions, that we would look for the redemption of our sorrows and our struggles, for You to use them for Your glory, and we might not even see the end result in this life. But we pray, Lord, that we would hold on to You in faith through all our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.